Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew Wycliffe. My blog is comicsfondle.com. And uh, this is Vernon Wiley, and I'm the uh, grand and proud proprietor of the Comics Gallery of Wilmette, Illinois. And this is our monthly or so podcast where we talk about all the latest and greatest and worstest in comic books. So but we, uh, don't, we don't talk about the worstest. We don't. We know, don't we, actually talk about the worstest. We talk about things that should be good and don't turn out to be good. How about that? Yeah, that works out fine. That's after that. That's good in, in conjunction with the theme of things in a lot of ways lately. You're right. Yes. Well, God, it, it has been like I, I'd have to say as a retailer, like we had five Wednesdays in in September, and that drug out the product like it usually did. But then when you go from three to one, it just got nothing. Last week. I got one major Marvel comic, right? It was Captain America White, okay, by the great team of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Anyway, I had this thing sold out by Saturday because there was nothing left for Marvel heads to buy. So anyway, this week, guess what I get on the Marvel load? I get five Star Wars comics. I get Secret Wars. I get four of their new number ones. And I'm like, you know, you guys couldn't have stretched this out a little bit better for us retailers. I mean, like last week I had to pay the fucking rent and everything, and I didn't have nothing. And uh, what is it? One of my fellow retailers, he runs a chain of stores in uh, Florida. He, he said it quite succinctly when looking at this month's uh, plethora of Marvel number ones. He goes, you only got to do one thing. You know you got to order Marvel. So that depends on how much you're going to cut the other companies to be able to afford the Marvel. And I'm like, he's right, you know? So, Marvel, you better sell your comics. That's all I can say this time, because you've been very poopy to me. <clears throat> well, I think I, I didn't read it, but I feel like, I think it was Rich, or somebody posted that without Star Wars, DC would have beaten Marvel last month. I think, I, I think they would have had a good chance. Uh, because, like I said, uh, I've been telling my customers, I, I can't actually back this up with factual information because if you try to have me add numbers, it really comes out badly. But my instincts tell me, though, that if you took the Star Wars titles away from Marvel, they would be the fourth largest comic book title on the strength of five comics. Okay, So I, um, I, I, I come with that, with the theory like, hey, Marvel published Star Wars publish Secret Wars, and publish one each of your titles. And that's fine. Because if you look what happens when people get behind things, Star Wars is just selling endlessly. It's not necessarily a good barometer against other comics, but it shows you the simplicity of what five titles that are really popular, mm-hmm. what kind of sales they could do, you know? And I'm every week I'm looking on the Diamond site to see if they got any back issues reprinted of freaking Star Wars comics, so... It's 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 all academic, but uh, I think that Marvel would have a harder time. I think this is going to be a soft reboot. Um, I kind of tailored my my numbers, and one of the reasons I tailored my numbers of these number ones is because a lot of them start at four ninety nine. A lot of them go to five ninety nine. Uh, one of my poor customers, what was it? Um, Bill. He comes in. He goes. Vern, I never thought I'd see the day when I come in here and buy two Marvel number ones and owe you almost twelve dollars. And this was for Spider-Man number one, and it was the Avengers Zero issue that came out. So twelve bucks for two comics, man. I shit you not. Yep, I don't think I've read a Marvel comic since Star Wars number one. 
No, I read the Anis that hasn't finished yet, bastards. Okay. <laughs> well, you can get the C-3PO special with the red arm later if you want. Anyway, right. let's, yeah, let's, let's start get talking started about... here, yeah. and we're yeah, we starting got... out strong. Yeah, we got a good, good, uh, good number one uh, book that's been really catching fire and uh, kind of elevating our consciousness as far as comic books are concerned. You, you're gonna, why don't you talk about Providence Five here? We'll freak Providence out. Five. So, where to even start with Providence? It's We've already said that it's crazy that Alan Moore is doing such a good book at Avatar. We've already said that it's um The fifth issue is... Continued first, creepiness. It's continued creepiness, and it's the first time you, you start to wonder when the... Like, the guy's getting to the point where he's got to catch on. Like, we're getting to that point. He's getting real close. Yeah, he's no like, longer the, the innocent observer. And he might, you know, be... He's he's with he's ending up lodging with somebody who wants to you know kill him and reincarnate him if you know yeah. Lovecraft. So I mean it's like it, it's getting there. We're getting to the point where there's got to be some sort of excitement from the protagonist. We've had excitement, but the protagonist is nonplussed. Yeah. He's plus by what he sees, you know. They're just they're just simple country folk. They don't, you know, he doesn't notice that they look like fish people. Um, <laughs> or, or the naked women in their seventies are suckling squirrel people uh, yeah. in his bedroom when he's sleeping. And um, really good, uh, really good back matter. I mean, oh, the back matter seems to. I think I, I may. I'm not a literary guy, but it seems to gain with importance of every issue. Like this yeah. one does the usual travel log of what he happens. It was rather nice. And I think you mentioned it. it. It takes longer to read the back matter than it does the comic. The comic is the visual aid, and, and Alan Moore chucks you in the back matter with a recount of his daily events verbally in his diary. And this time, in the latest issue, he puts actually like an exercise of prose in it to yes, see how which is play. so interesting. I mean, you no, know, it's like jazz with creepy language. Yeah. It's just such a good, it's just such a good book. Um, and one that, if Vertigo had this, this is something Vertigo should have moved Heaven and Earth to get. They should have offered him, because it's a horror comic. And there's one thing about horror movies and franchises, is that they're very popular for very little money. And Warner Brothers yeah. would love to have something like this. And I don't think there's anything in here that isn't in public domain, right? Right. I mean, all they would have had, it's just like, or he changed all cultural just, references. Or, I mean, Lovecraft licenses can't cost very much either, so it's just kind of like, Vertigo should have they should have given him Watchmen, they should have done whatever it took, they should have started a new company. Because, whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever. In in 15 years, Providence is going to still be read. It's going to be, you know, from hell. It's going to be one of those seminal Alan Moore works. Yes. And, we, yeah. and he didn't really produce any of those in Top Ten. Or not Top Ten, in uh, America's Best. No, no. Prometheo and Top book. Ten were the closest, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, Prometheo, while not a successful experiment, certainly went to certain realms, I think, that are... Yes. 
excuse me, common in what you see in the cult-like behavior of mm-hmm. Providence with the weird people and shit like that. And Alan Moore's fascination with a cult and, and odd people. <laughs> well, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is still a brand. So, I mean, this is his first since League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But yeah, if this, yeah. if Providence finishes nicely, though, that'll be, it'll definitely be like a canon Alan Moore work. Now, does it have six or eight? Oh, I'm thinking twelve, but I could be I could be on crack cocaine right now. I don't know. Let's see here. Vernon's but, uh, gonna start talking about. Uh, I don't know. I, I still Providence. There's still talks to talk about there, but we should probably move on anyway. But I mean, if you like creepy 12. stuff, yeah, twelve, yeah, twelve issues, which makes it terrifying. We're not even halfway through yet. No, and we've done like what two hours of reading easily on these five issues or whatever the hell it is. Oh yeah. Yeah, but great stuff. Um, Avatar Press, very lucky to get this book. When you get it, don't pass up on the back matter. It takes work, and, and I got over it. And it's just layers and layers of something. I'm not quite sure what yet. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to touch upon a book that really it kind of goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Apparently, there's this cartoon somewhere, maybe on cable television, because that's where most of this stuff is nowadays. It's called Over the Garden Wall, and uh, I had been turned on to the comic book by people who were asking about it. And I'm like, no, nah, I never heard of it, but I'll get it. And we had really good success, and uh, I never did get to read the special, but now they got a little mini series going on. And this is one of those like sublimely all-ages comics where there's like a story in each issue, and it's told in this like matter-of-fact, relaxed manner between the participants. And they're all like really innocent, childlike characters. And yet there's this whole like, I don't know the right words, ethereal type of contentedness that goes across this book. You get swept away. It's kind of like reading Yatsuba, that Japanese comic about the Mm -hmm. five-year-old girl. It just takes you to this serene place while you're reading these comic books. Uh, The first issue, these guys get lost in the forest and they, they, they get conned by these two daughters of a farmer. And it's all really bizarre but mellow stuff and in the second issue the horse recounts how he turns from an honest horse into a thief you know in a verbal display and these two comics have just put me on another world it's really freaking strange but uh this over the garden wall is an all-ages comic based on an animated cartoon god help me i don't know what that is but easily it's it's a two belcher easily andrew um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, good stuff. Oh, you know what? Let me get some kudos here. I've got, I got to get some credits here. I really, really, really got to do it for this book. We're looking at uh, written by Pat McHale and illustrated by Jim Campbell. And you really could do worse than just like downloading or finding these comics somewhere and just reading them, I'm telling you. So anyway, I'm still curious. I'm going to let you handle the next one, which is uh, Miracle Man. Ooh, yeah. So, no, it's not just Miracle Man, Vernon. It's Miracle Man by... Gaiman and Buckingham. Ouch. Here we go. We've got Marvel uh, making sure we know that it's the new one. And I, of course, had heard of this. You know, this was supposed to be one of Gaiman's greatest works, wasn't it? That he never got to finish? I guess. I don't follow Gaiman at all, but from the work we see displayed here, I'm kind of wondering about that goal anyway. He is yes. following it before is not an easy task for and any. Especially on Miracle Man, right? I mean, we're talking about a book that survived Chuck Austin. 
Right. And, and between you and me, when you read, when yeah, right, it's survived Chuck Austin. I, you know, that's an interesting point in Alan Moore's career that I thought about. Like when you get to be a certain level artist, or excuse me, writer like Grant Morrison or Garth Ennis, you kind of pick your artist. Well, this is right. one of those times that he didn't get to pick his artist. Either that or Chuck Moore, you know, warm-heartedly warmed his way into the project because I couldn't imagine a worse artist to touch Alan Moore, which he does for about three issues of Miracle. It's Man. a bit. It's a bit. Yeah. And it's so, important stuff. Yes, it is. It's unfortunate that, that 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 he did get to draw those, but those are an aberration in Alan Moore's career that he can he could th- he probably thinks worse of that than he does his relationship with Warner Brothers, probably. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, you know what? Finishing Miracle Man, I mean, I'm not saying that it had a definitive ending, but I was satisfied with it when yeah. it first came out back in the eighties or whenever the hell it was. So so tell me what what, what kept going with Gaiman? You I read the first Nothing's issue. kept going with Gaiman. Gaiman's doing that it's this is the series. It's the regular people living in this utopia and their stupid adventures. Like, it's really, really drab stuff. Yeah. The first issue is really drab. And and the first issue is maybe even more uh, exciting than the second one. I mean... Oh, my God. That's $5. Jesus Christ. So I haven't gotten to the third one yet, but, yeah, it's just... This is certainly nothing that anybody needed to spend 20 years figuring out how to finish. No. Not at all. Not at all. It, 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 the first issue just left me kind of cold with its kind of sketches stories. It's like Brian Wood at his early part of his career when you look right. at his sketch stories, but they're really not developed ideas at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, if he just spent 15 more minutes on this story, it would have been a t- hundred times more interesting. You know, so he yeah. did he fit? So, so in Buckingham is the early part of his career. So his art is really not carrying the ball either because sometimes you can get through a comic when the art carries you, you know. Yeah. Very weird. It's very weird how Marvel's doing this. I mean, this was the thing that I think everybody expected them to do in the first place, and they didn't. They reprinted all the Alan Moores, trying to get more money from you. But at least with the Alan Moore, you got your money's worth. It's very weird that how they handled all this. But anyway, now you read the first two issues. Was there anything in those first two issues that deserved the comic getting bagged for? Uh. Yes, in the second issue, there's uh, some graphic uh, stuff going on. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Marvel bagged them, and I'm like, oh, they're the most unthological company in the world. Except DC, they're going to put out a variant. You know, well, I'm not even going to go into that right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, Miracle Man remains a mystery. I mean, once you got through the the more stuff, there really doesn't seem to be any reason to continue yeah. on. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a game basher by any means, and neither are you, but this stuff was pretty cold and lifeless. Anyway. Yep, so next up, Vernon's going to talk about something he likes, right? Yeah, Vernon's on a roll here. Sorry about that. I guess I shouldn't take my happy pills before we start this stuff. Um, Harold County, that's that uh, book I've been pushing through Dark Horse with, uh, I think it's Colin Bunn. There is actually a book I enjoy by Colin Bunn besides Sixth Gun. And it's this Harrow County. I mean, I've, I've, you know, Colin, you know, bless him. He's been getting work at Marvel. God bless you. You're getting a check. I'm cool with that shit. But I can't read any of it. It's awful to me. But this Harrow County is done with the uh, Hellboy alumni, uh, Tyler Crook on art and uh, Dave Stewart on colors or whatever it is. Okay. And it's a really creepy ass uh, story about, 
these uh, this witch girl who's a reincarnated girl who was like burned at the stake way back when or something in, in modern times, which would be Depression era United States. And it's perfectly done with Tyler Cook's artwork. It actuates it, it, actuates it perfectly. And it's just a, a, a really creepy uh, horror book. It's not too far in the pale, but it's spooky and creepy. And uh, if you like that kind of shit, it's up to issue five. Very good. Well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let that? me talk about the Spire. Now, Spire yeah. is from the creators of uh, Six Gun Gorilla, 12 Gun Monkey, whatever the hell it was called. Uh, Simon Spurrier and Jeff Stokely. Six it's, gun. Six gun. It's this very strange sci-fi thing. It's it's it, it it feels like something Brandon Graham would have something to do with if it were an image, but it's not an image, it's a boom. And it's just this big sci-fi fantasy thing, and it's still good. There's lots of character development in this one. It's it it's still keep it's keeping going and the thing is is um to some degree six gun gorilla I, I feel like was a lot more uneven than this is for me oh yeah six gun gorilla was kind of all over the place mentally and physically with the main character and his mental state of mind and you wonder whether you're looking at reality or not this is all pretty traditional in, in some ways it, it's it's like a uh, detective who done it what's going on with all these different races and the the, the predominant race on this planet and this is uh, primarily about the what the, the head police detective right. who's in charge of keeping things safe and have a bitch in time of it because there's a lot of stuff that's going on that she doesn't know about between these peoples and stuff and it has you know i don't know it i love the spire and i like this team and i'm intrigued by this book to me it had one kind of flaw uh, it, it's it's almost too grand at times, and he's really trying to contain an awful lot of stuff going on in here, right. and make make sure work. So it's not an easy read. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely not an easy read. Good what'd stuff. Think, yeah, what do you think about Stokely's art? Uh, you know, Stokely is. I don't know. He's got. He's actually getting a little bit more creative in terms of how he's that's why I think I said it reminded me of something Brandon Grammy is it's getting more I don't know if grand is the right term but he's getting more ambitious he's getting more comfortable he's getting more he wasn't like this on Six Gun Gorilla no. um, he's I and and just based on the sort of bio technology in the comic you you have to wonder if he's not getting influenced by all this stuff like profit and other things like that because spire's got a lot of that yeah he's handled the fantasy aspects of it really nice yeah he's not an overdrawing cartoonist he's very minimalist so he has like empty spaces which is really freaks me out when he does like these big full page spreads <laughs> page spreads and there's not a whole lot of drawing going on there right. but he carries it you know and he's really trying. Yeah, I like that. You say that organic style of Brandon Graham sleeps in there. So he's getting influenced by some things. And you know what? He's forced to invent things because he's doing a fantasy book now. Where right. Six Gun Gorilla had a lot of things that you're visually familiar with. Gorilla's Civil War, yada, yada. Uh, this has stuff he's got to make up 
and bring out a bring full cloth to a comic, and he does a really good job of it too. The storytelling's pretty good too. Yeah, it's a neat book. Um, I think you found that one, right? Even though, yeah, it was what, Oni. Was Oni Press put that no, one out? Boom of all people, remember? Boom. Damn, they put out a book I'm reading. That's cool. I know they put out uh, two books you're reading because uh, that other one, uh, Over the Garden Wall, is a, a kaboom. Book. Yeah, look at you. Oh God, two branching out. Get my communist card out and put it in the fire. Um, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak up on uh, one of my favorite mind rock series. Uh, it's 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 not deep, it's not sensitive, but it's fast paced and it's probably one of Ryan Ferrer's few bright spots in comics. It's uh, Dave. Is it was it called Dave Two, which is the sequel to Dave, and it's about robots taking over the humankind. You don't really see any humans because they're all dead by the time the first issue comes around. Robots emulate human behavior, and that leads them to all sorts of problems within the universe later on as robots. So anyway, the second series has come around. I'd have to say it's kind of like more of the first, but Ferrer and the artist. Oh, God, what is this poor fellow's name? Valentin Ramon. They keep up the energy and the fun, and they, they, they cover all the bases. And it's actually, so far with two issues in, it's been pretty good, so... Uh, I have to say that if you like the Dave one about the robots, uh, Dave two is uh, keeping along on that same same professional keel. But uh, here's a book that we were both back and forth on the fiction man by is it Kurt Pyers? Is that his name or Pierre's or I don't know? Oh man! We can't tell everybody's name on this show, man. Did it's you notice job. how Vernon just went right into the damn fiction like that? Everybody, he didn't yeah. he didn't give me a warning that we had to talk about this now. Because the fact is, is that we just blew however much time it took, the 25 minutes it took us to read. Yeah, it was a quickie. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you. it started and it was almost like a, uh, a knockoff of the unwritten, right? Well, yeah, he, he had some themes that intertwined with it, but... You know, four issues was too much. You could have done this in like a what a forty-five page or a sixty-four page. Maybe graphic. that's what that's what Boom needs to do with these because this is another Boom one. Is they need to do forty-eight page specials. You know, yeah. they yeah. they well, need an anthology. They need Island. They need their own Island. Yeah, they have a lot of these these concepts rolling around. Look in the previous catalog, and there's like you know six to eight new boom books every month or whatever it is. And it would be right. It would be fit them to have some type of trying board because, you know, Kurt Pyers has some ideas, you know, but he really needs a good editor to say, you know what, this would be a great like 64 page special or something like that. Especially when you're engaging the talents of the great David Rubin on artwork, who I'm really enjoying. I, I was really ecstatic to see him in color after the uh, Aurora West volumes. So I was like, oh, it's great. And But the, the script, there's just not enough ideas going on in there. You know? I mean, this is, there's two issues in the middle that really nothing happens. You know, like the first issue and the fourth issue, and then there's two issues in the middle. It's got pretty good artwork, though. Yeah. But the fiction <sighs> failed. You know, we wanted it to be good, but it wasn't. <laughs> I feel like the same thing happened to us when we read, uh, what was that other one we did here? Uh, Pop. Remember that? We didn't even yes. finish that. 
And then oh, May that Day is- that he did at Black Mask. Yes. Yeah. So he, he, he has some ideas, but he needs an editor to slap him around and tie him to a chair or whatever the fuck it takes, you know? All right. Exactly. Well, anyway, the fiction the fiction was a fail from uh, Andrew and I. It wouldn't be an epic fail because it kind of got out there. It was published, and it wasn't too bad. But still, uh, a good editor would have made some hash and turned this into like a five ninety nine special that we could mm-hmm. buy and say, okay, this would have been much better. Like that, you know. All right, moving on. We stand on guard. Our favorite Canadian comic by Robert Vaughn. Anyway, I thought it was by Brian K. Vaughn. Brian Brian K. Vaughn. Yes, I forgot the K. Sorry. Um, and Steve Scrosi, the artist, who's really good. And um, it's an interesting, like I say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep keep going on. It's an interesting action adventure comic. You know, I'm not saying saying any of the protagonists really rub off on me, but uh, Steve Scrosi's drawings of mayhem and battle and action are certainly worth your time. Scrosi, I don't know how many people are familiar with him. He started off like at Marvel doing books. He eventually got to Spider-Man, then got hired by the Wachowski brothers to do the Matrix films. And uh, he's got a really good style. So I think Brian Vaughn was lucky to have him on this book to help carry it, you know. So if action and adventure and nationalistic jingo are your fans, it's it's trucking along. Nothing special. Stop, don't stop moving. Nothing to see here. But uh, okay. I think we got what? Three more of these things? Eh, we'll get through. <laughs> <laughs> Please save me. Go on to the next title. All right. So next up, we've got Kaiju Max 6, which is, it turns out, the last issue of this season, so to speak, of Kaiju Max. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a disappointment. It's still a good book, but it is a bit of a disappointment. It it sets things up for next season. It's got a lot of... It gives a cliffhanger to every character. And, um... Yeah. You know, it's alright, but it's certainly... It, it, you can definitely see that Can, uh, Xander Can, Cannon's winding down for a break with it. Yeah. It was it was tragic. In, in your online review, if I remember correctly, you were talking about he had enough ideas to pad this out another issue to make it a better yeah. season. And I agree with you. If he'd have just wound up a couple of more plot threads before finishing season one, he could have, like, tightened it up and made it a true kind of cool read. Instead, he's like, you know, you're right. He's right short of his talents. Yeah. Vernon's going to talk about Injection, which I'm a little concerned is his uh, current uh, Warren Ellis book of choice. Yes, yes. Well, we, 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 we go on our addictions of Warren Ellis. He's like good drugs. You just just read his comics and get sucked in. And then you hope you hope by half a dozen issues in, you haven't lost, wasted your time or your money. Uh, but he's had some pretty good stuff. But uh, Injection so far has been a really good read. I like the characters. Um, he's uh, teamed up with, what's his name, Shafley? What the hell is this guy? Ripped him, ripped him over from Marvel. Maybe one of those British guys, perhaps. He draws like it, for crying out loud. Uh, Declan Shelby. I guess we'll assume he's from one of the islands. Uh, yeah, that's great. the guy I did Moon Knight with. Yes, right. Yeah, right after that, they did this one. They had some chemistry, and they brought it onto their own creator, own book of image. And it has, you know, it, they seem to be really enjoying each other's uh, talents. And Warren tests Shelby's uh, visual prowess, and then... Uh, 
he's he's doing his thing where he feeds you information like on a, a need to know basis. But the first uh, five issues have been pretty strong, actually. And this is another reason to quit reading superhero comics. Actually, I mean, if you if you don't need to read, if you get bored with DC and Marvel, like try something like Injection because it really ups the ante in so many ways on the type of comics you're reading now. And I'll leave that at that. But anyway, the big seller, the big one here. You know, were you as freaked out as I was when you heard that this uh, fade out was going to end at twelve? Or did you think not it after issue nine? Not after issue nine. Before issue nine. Right. Yes. Yeah. But issue nine, Brubaker's tying things together. And look what he's doing. He's given himself three issues to do this. That's a lot of room. Brubaker usually doesn't do that. I mean, yeah, this Fatal good... wrapped up in what, two issues? It was just like, woo, we got to finish right now. Yep, like, yep, yep. And I think that started back. You know, if we want to put it back far enough, I don't know about his Marvel stuff since I never finished any of his uh, runs in Marvel. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was a good idea. Um, but Catwoman, I remember he had those two or three uh, epilogue issues. We're talking about Catwoman a little bit later, but he never takes the time to uh, sort of plot these things outright, and he finally has. I feel Fade Out is. Uh, we were talking about it on some episode, and we were, I was opining that this could be Brubaker's, you know, breakthrough. This could be his his real piece of comic book uh, comic book work, and it, it's shaping up to be that. So he's, he's setting himself up for a big fall if he screws it up. Yeah, yeah. This is this is it. We walk on eggs, anxiously awaiting how he ends fade out because. Endings are not Baker's strongest suite, and he's he's flawed many of his works with kind of odd endings to them. And uh, Fade Out, my God, it's it's been nine issues of just comic booky goodness. You know, we just sit here as comic book freaks, and we just eat it up like Hostess cupcakes, you know, on a drug high. Uh, it, the comic works on so many levels. Every bit of this production of this comic is thought about, looked at, created, studied critiqued already before we get to see it it is just simply probably the best book on the stands overall when you look at all different aspects of a comic book so what are you waiting for if you haven't read this you know jesus get out of here get the fuck outside and go buy some copies of this there's what two trades i think now so we can fade out man i mean the characters you're right though the ninth issue accelerates it because the two protagonists they discover, you know, something about one another, which is nice. Yeah. Good, you know. It's just, ah, so good. Right. Uh, we, we commented before, and you, you mentioned this, like, what was the, the in your, you said, like, one issue was just all, was it expose or whatever? I forget the word. But it, it was just a bridging issue. But it was still, like, magnificent comics to read. You know what I mean? Yeah. So junk full of meat compared to Batman and Superman, you know. <laughs> Oh well. Anyway, let's let's enjoy the last three issues of Fade Out. Like what? Like great wine or drugs or something. Whatever your choice is, sex yes. or whatever. But, uh, we got three to go, and they're gonna be juicy. Uh, Tokyo Ghost, man. Sean Murphy, man. He's this guy loves to draw, doesn't he? You look at anything this guy draws. It's like you just imagine some guy holed up in a hermit's cave, just drawing his ass out eighteen, twenty-four hours a day, and enjoying every minute. Uh, Tokyo Ghost, it's kind of a, what, science fiction comic? 
by Rick Remender. I didn't read it. You didn't get to read it? You didn't get to read it yet? Okay. Who wrote Rick it? Remin uh, was it Remender? I don't yeah, read Rick Remender. Sorry for all of you uh, non-elitist fans out there. Wow, wow. It's not a question of elitism, all right? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's true. Uh, Reminder, his, you know, his best stuff for me has always been like his Marvel stuff, even though he probably hated it. Again, subject to edits or editorial, maybe. I don't know. But he's got Tokyo Ghost going on with uh, Sean Murphy now. Now, it's typically unfocused, which is really a problem for his writing. He kind of meanders all over the place. Um, that said, it, it also provides a nice set of train tracks for Murphy to go nuts with the artwork and, and kind of pick up on the elements that he's lacking on. So I get the, uh, the first issue of Pass because it was uh, all right. It was good, good uh, junk food comic books. I know you don't have to do junk food. That's okay. <laughs> I might do junk food, but I'm not going to do that junk food. It turns your poop green, all right? You've got to find some junk food you can admit to. Anyway. All right. Excuse me. Didn't I read 60 issues of uh, 80s Firestorm comics? I know about junk food, Bernie. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. All, all, right. Right. all right. So, Eight House has started its next arc. Uh, Kim, Kim, something. Uh... What is it? It's got great art and a dumb sci-fi story. Yeah. <laughs> what scares me about it is, so Graham's got Eight House, he's got Island. He's, Island is a great place for people who might do a book at Image to get their start. And they've already sort of run out of sci-fi. Right. Right. Yeah, they got it. We're done. We, we, there's no more sci-fi. The comics are going to do the sci-fi revolution or the sci-fi phenom uh, in comics right now has just uh, it just peaked with Kim, and it, it's all going to be downhill from now, people. Yep. Don't even try. You need not apply because they're getting to this point where yes, you can have this gorgeous art, you can have the fantasy elements, the uh, organic uh, futurism shit, whatever. But they're 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 getting to the point where it's about the art and not the, the story is just idiotic and it's just it's not, maybe not idiotic so much as it's just the work isn't there. I mean that was the thing about profit is the work was on the art, the work was on the story. Right. There is no work on this story. It's, These are sketches, and they could be developed more. And they're, you know, it's a shame when you see how much labor was put on the artwork and the story. So itself, good. Yeah. So I mean, good. But it took this thing and really ran with it. But it's so G Penalta. And it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How did you pronounce that person's name? Can you run that by me again? So I don't. Think I pronounced it Zerxo G Penalta. Wow. That was pretty good. I'll give you kudos on that. All right. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that name. But you're right. I mean, it, it, you hate to say it, but there's just, well, as Jim would say, the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> but anyway, there's one coming up that's better. Right. Uh, it's, our, it's our favorite current noir comic here at the Comics Gallery. It's called Dark Corridor. It's by an old indie guy named Rich Tommaso who runs Hot and Cold with me. Fantagraphics has been very generous with him over the years. 
and so some other things. But you know what? He's got his own creator own project over Image now. And he's doing this like weird, like violent, noir stylized take on a whole universe of characters that he's decided to put in this one comic called Dark Corridor and split it up among stories among them. And the the third issue came out Wednesday. I've read the first two, and it's a real fun mix of this type of material. The production values are all there. Tommaso is very inspired by what he's trying to get across. And there's tons of, like, 50s and early 60s references. And uh, it's a real nice comic that just goes down like good, uh, I don't know, a good calorie-inducing food. That's all I can tell you. But nice stuff, nice stuff there. But I'm curious about you and the next one, Invisible Republic. We're back to science fiction again. Here. How did, we are. are they going to be David? I'm telling you. We're, we're, it's, it's, and this one is the sci-fi masquerading as a political, or political drama masquerading as sci-fi. Did I forget to read the fifth issue? Uh, that we, might explain some confusion. Um, the last time I saw them, they, were, they got their freedom, but they were kind of... That would explain. I thought they got busted. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is happening to me with uh, some of these indie books. Um, I think it happened with Nailbiter. And it almost happened with Letter 44, but that one I went back and read is that, yeah, I'm like missing them just because they don't make enough of an impression that I'm waiting for the next issue. Mm, interesting. There's a lot of work um, in this thing visually. There is. And I mean, it is so interesting how much work Hardman is going to put into this image. Or no, it's a, it's an image book. It's not even a boom book. So these they're pushing the Bechtel Hardman sci-fi, accessible sci-fi brand with his artwork, which is not necessarily sci-fi oriented artwork at all. No. Um, it, it really works out. Um yeah, I mean, and the writing's fine. She's the problems with the book are how deceptive they need to be. They feel they need to be with the reader to keep interest up. Okay, mystery so it's like, and everything. Yeah, it seems so. Yeah, you're right. And it, it, it kind of it, it could be just stand on its own. You know what I mean? Like you seem to right. have are here and everything. If you, you don't have to resort to mischievousness to keep us going, you know what I mean? And that's one of those things I'm like, they want to sell this to TV where you get to do both parts. Or they want to sell it to a movie or some shit. I don't know. I, I think that it's a well-executed book, but it takes a certain type of person that's interested in type of drama. And, uh, but it's well-executed. I mean, I'll give it that. Good European work. Leave it at that. Uh, let's see. What else is on our list here? Uh, phonogram. phonogram. Yeah. That, that's actually, you know, like the one of the original... The original hits of Gillen and McKelvey, who made little indie splashes all over the place. And uh, their current big hit was it The Divine and the Wicked. The Wicked, Divine, I always get those two mixed up. It's uh, making some indie circles, and uh, it's okay. I mean, I, I I don't know. I'm at the target. When's the last time you read that book? Oh, that's a long time ago. At least half a dozen issues. It's good. I got, I got thrown off. I'm just not this target audience. I do like Phonogram, though. Same creative team, um, but the setting is different, and to me, it's a little more honest. It's about people who uh, who are warlocks and witches in modern-day society, and they get their powers from rock and roll. And it's uh, it, it works because they have just – they have tons of uh, reference material. They have, like, some smart characters, 
the pretentiousness that is evident in like all of their characters works so much better in phonogram to me than it does in Wicked and Divine. It's like a, a shtick that actually works here but doesn't here. That I'm I'm actually intrigued enough to go through a second series of this stuff so far. So um I'm having fun with it and uh if I had any reservations, well you should have a good uh good history of like pop music. Let's put it that way. That that's kind of a nice thing because you get a whole lot of the little asides and uh, side information out of that. But uh photogram, yeah, I'm digging that. I'll I'll go on the hippie side of the fence for that one. I like the second series a hell of a lot more than I like the first one, but not enough to get me onto the third. All right. There you go. So Manifest Destiny, and we need to we need to take notes and we need to we need to maybe we should do that this time is we should go through these comics and we should put them into categories. Yeah. Because Manifest Destiny has sort of joined that letter forty four category of I'm going to read this book, but I'm not going to have any hope whatsoever for it impressing me that much. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, I want to read it. I'm curious about it, but I don't think it's going to be like, it, this is my candy or whatever the hell you said. What, what did you say? I needed my junk food. Right. Letter or Letter 44, Manifest Destiny, two books that we had real high expectations for. Those are my junk food. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to say that. Yeah, because the uh, yeah, you, you you hit it on the head. Uh, the uh, uh, the the plot lines that are really they, you'd hope they were adding up more. At least they were accelerating their way towards the story, but they seem kind of mired, you know. And I'm like, no, you don't have a you got to you got to take the momentum you got from all these characters and run with it. And the latest issue, like it's more interesting what's happening to Pocahontas than the two guys facing off against the vampires. <sighs> you know what I mean? And I'm like. God, you know, like, I want to see more Pocahontas. You've been saying that since the first or second issue. I'm telling you. This is a book. We're on issue 17. It's been promising us a kick-ass Pocahontas since issue, maybe the the, splat, the end splash of one, but definitely yeah. in two. We've never gotten to see it. All of her action scenes are like perfunctory or abbreviated or cut away from, and it's like, okay, what's whoever whoever does the art has gotten to the point where he's, you know, he's doing good. He's he's doing fine with the art. He needs to do all action, all Pocahontas. It needs to be uh, what was that uh, the the Jeff Darrow book. Oh, uh, the samurai thing? The samurai thing where all it is is him fighting? That's Still what it needs to be. Yeah, that's what it needs to be with Pocahontas. We need the payoff. It, it's been too long. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like masturbation without him being able to come. Like, don't give us Lewis and Clark's voiceovers. We don't want that anymore. We get it. You really want HBO to call you, right? Like, we get it. We get that you've got you know, you're writing them seasons of TV to sell for that Walking Dead money, right? It doesn't matter. Right. Just right. give us the fight scene. The payoff. Like, it's a comic book. It Do it. Do the yeah. fight scene. Right. Do, do what you got to do. Don't keep jerking off and not showing off. You know what I mean? I'll show a no blow. Ain't going to cut it forever, I'll tell you. 
Anyway, that was a big disappointment. But I'm still, like I said, I'm still curious. I'll still keep up with it. Exactly, but it's just like, yeah. Yeah, chat your wad with me, man. I'm really sorry. Oh, man. Oh, Hip Hop Family Tree, have you been able to touch this at all? Oh, this is a wonderful um, history. I think I probably mentioned it before. Ed Pisker, who's got this absolutely marvelous historical knowledge of hip-hop music and history, has uh, turned it into a comic book, a la the Marvel 70 house style with comic books. And he goes to really great pains to, like, de- replicate the aging of the paper and kids drawing in it with big pens and all sorts of shit. So it's a really lovely multi-texture type of uh, history and it bounces all over it's done in this cartoony style that's just wonderful but it's filled with so much detail that it's actually nicer than trying to read the big volumes that you could get at the library because it's like 20 page sections of it you know so hip-hop family tree is definitely the comic to be reading if you need to get some modern history of music up your belts by ed pisker uh i don't know there's no when you talk about comics uh implanting history you know what i mean like okay kids you can read this history book or you can read this comic on it and if it's done well enough you can honestly say that the person say well no you should read this comic about it because it'll give you all the straight facts really quick and in a funner way to do it than it would in dry prose so i think it would succeed on that benefit all the way so don't hesitate to read that one i was totally up for grabs on our next title can you help me out with this one you mean the one I wasn't going to read till you, like, pointed it out, and so I read it? I'll give you the list. We're going to play. It's sci-fi fantasy from Image, from somebody who worked with Brandon Graham on something. <laughs> kind of looks like it, too. You know, we kind of got fooled by this one, thinking, you know, this might work because it's like that one last one we saw, you know, but the, the first two issues of that, and I was like, no, this ain't it. No, You know, the difference between this comic and that comic I discovered was this one kind of takes place in the real world, right? Where those first two issues, those were so trippy that you're like, okay, they're not even having excursions to the real world. They're just going off. Here, it's kind of like they're kind of grounded by the real world and it's like really boring. I don't know. It's, it's, it's... Rant, baby, rant. All right, so... It's like, I don't know, Pocahontas. No, it's not like Pocahontas. It's Mulan. It's it's Mulan, actually. Mulan. It, it's the Disney version of Mulan. There's a princess who doesn't get to do anything. Her brother gets to do everything. Dad's a jerk. And then there's evil spirits attacking the castle. Like, it's... <laughs> it's like it's like a girl Disney fans got to do comic books. Right. Like, the stories from... Somebody who worked on um, with Brandon Graham, Marion Churchland. Oh, yeah. But uh, the script uh, isn't from her. It's just her story. No, right. So now Brandon Graham's empire, you know, is getting to the point where... It's overgrown. It's overgrown. It's overgrown. Brandon Graham is sort of this Robert Kirkman-like indie part of image is overgrown at this point because we have too much sci-fi fantasy yes yes and no editors none whatsoever hire the guy who's editing brubaker on the fade out because 
Remember when Brubaker was like, I haven't worked with an editor for 15 years. And you're like, that's the problem, Ed. Look what just happened. Well, I was so happy when he wrote that in his columns. Like, I was ecstatic. But you're right. This this whole project, it's kind of like, man, there's just nobody looking at these scripts and saying, you know, this doesn't really deserve to be developed into a comic book or not yet anyway. Well, as retailer, I have to try to find money for these things, but I can't willingly recommend them. I'm very sorry. Right. However, Island remains worth your time, I think. Wait, there's what no about Beauty? Good. You're going to talk about Beauty? Then we're going to talk about Island. Oh, my God, Beauty. Anyway, who is it? Jeremy Hahn? I think that's the name. Let me look this one up real quick. Jeremy Hahn. He was on my list of, like, what, 80s or 90s guys that were in the independent scene. Like, uh, this guy does Copperhead. You know which one I'm talking about. Like, these guys you see on the fringe. Jay Faber. Jeremy yeah. Hahn was the dude who was, what, what did he do with that con? Remember many years ago? Yeah, he he did like a retro World War II comic. I remember that. Yeah, he did battle him, which sucked, but his art was good. And he he worked on DC stuff and um backup um back uh, or you know the short little backup stories in Batman's and stuff, but. Leading Man, that was the one that Jim Caldwell bought just for the art. Right, just for and the he, art. And he said, he said something like, I haven't, you know, he's like, he reminds me of Michael Lark in yes. the, um, uh, his sort of uh, Terminal City, early Michael Lark, but with okay. thicker lines. Um, yeah, so we got into Jeremy Hahn for, I don't know, six months until we read all these shitty comics that he was drawing. Yeah, that was it. I couldn't read anymore. Battle Him, I think, got it in the view, and that was it. Well, Beauty surprised me. The first issue was pretty solid, and it was a uh, pretty much a police uh, whodunit type of thing established with a pair of detectives who come across uh, a mutation of a socially active, uh, what do you call that, uh, disease, sexually transmitted disease uh, right. that makes you young and regenerates your cells, but it has a price down the road. And they are at the beginning of that, and they're two detectives that have seen the real thing, but they're fighting, not fighting, but they're part of the government that's trying to suppress all the information about what happens to these people. And uh, the second issue uh, kind of follows the police procedural bit about it. A little too close for my think, considering the scope and magnitude of what's going on here. It seems very Channel Five cop showish. You know what I mean? And uh, NYPD Blue or whatever. So it didn't. It kind of took a, a step backward with issue two. But you know, I'm going to give him some chops for uh, his execution, and he keeps his characters believable. And we're going to see how three goes. But again, you know, that editor would have helped here. I think somewhere. I don't know. Beauty works. Beauty works. Let's put it that way. Still, much better than Marvel and DC. So, God, even if you spend money on beauty, you're you're miles ahead of the end. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to talk about Island Three. Dum da dum dum dum. Dum da dum dum. And I hate this a little bit because it feels like we're beating up on Brandon Grant. Well, you know, and we have been such proponents of him. You yes. Know, yeah, he's really impressed us to this point. And, I mean, to some degree, it's not really his fault. I mean, you know, his heart's in the right place. He wants there to be more imaginative, um, non-traditional uh, storytelling that's still, 
you know, mainstream enough to, to sell some comics, right? And... You have to nurture a whole wide range of talent to get away with the scope of this type of project. And he's not nurturing these people. And we sort of saw that with the terrible... Um, skateboard service. Skateboard crap. Remember when DC tried to sell us on the idea we needed to buy... Uh, was Damon Scott and Solo, right? We need to, we need to get punk out with these guys and do the graffiti art, and it's just nothing. So anyway, um, yeah. this issue's the first two issues had that, and you were just like, eh, okay. But then this issue's just got oh so many problems, just so oh, okay. many problems. It looks very ambitious, just with a casual flip through with all the color and everything. It looks like yeah. It and then none, I mean, the first issue is the most main, there, the first story is the most mainstream. You can almost see the first story oh my. as being a, 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 it's, it's sort of low budget, I guess you'd say for a comic book, you know, and yeah, it, it would be cheap for, uh, its own series. And then there's some other stuff and. I mean, I think the best thing in it is about the, 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 the alien, the, the alien naked chick revealing herself to be an alien or whatever in the end, just because, you know, it's four pages long. Like, so it's, you know, so it's like it's almost too ambitious by half or what's going on anyway? It's just too much going on? It's just not very good? or the, These people aren't ready. They're not ready for... I mean, Public. Island can get away with it because, you know, they're, uh, it's, it's reasonably priced for what you get, right? Right, like 80 pages for seven ninety nine. yeah. Remember when uh, Fanagraphics did that series? Oh, they've done a lot of anthologies. But the yeah. mo- was it Moam when they were going to follow the same artists for a while? Oh, yeah, that was like their fancy one, right? That right. was their fancy one. This ain't that, and it's like, it kind of needs to be. It needs to step up the game, huh? Yeah, it... Yeah. yeah well, it, it seems to be doomed to be, to be like a niche audience. Uh, but, I don't know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at three. You've got me curious. Now, well, no, so. I'm, I mean, I'm going to read four. I'm going to keep going with it. But, yeah, I mean, it's not just a niche audience. It's... You feel like you're... It's in, just, t- just reading it is intentionally... You're doing it for Brandy Crane. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing. You feel like you're part of like a movement of rebellious comics, I guess you'd say, in some ways. I mean, he's not. You want to support it. You want to support. We want to support this thing he's doing, even though we don't. I mean, it's so hard. Yeah, they yeah. need to do. It needs to be better, right? It needs basically to be better, all right? there is to it. It needs to be better. So, so what do you do? We need editors. We just need editors. They need. Yes, they need to. Image needs editors. They need to just stop with the whole, we don't need editors. And they yeah. just need to embrace that. Right, right. I, I think that it's always good to have another pair of eyes go over your work. I mean, I'm sure there are production assistants that help you from every step from A to Z, make selections about formatting and all that kind of crap. But what you need is somebody who's involved with it on the comic book stage and say to these creators, well, you know, you're not ready yet. Let's hold off. Let's tweak it a bit. Let's do right. something, you know. But I, we don't see any evidence of that kind of disciplined comics making. And that's a problem because we've got all this independence. We've got all this creator's rights. 
And but you know what? We're not making good comic books. I mean, we're still. If you want to bitch about Marvel and DC putting out eighty percent dog shit, well, hey, we're not too far from that ourselves here. Right, and that we know we first started seeing that about a year ago at Image, and it's okay. it has just increased. So now we're we're yeah. Yeah, we'd have to say that even like the artsy product or stuff needs to be like uh, handled or something. I mean, you don't just go ahead. Some of the stuff in here feels like people who are good. You know, they probably have written or drawn a really funny comic strip that their friends and maybe somebody online thought was funny, but they're not ready for prime time. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I just feel, I feel like that. I agree with you uh, 100%. I mean, we have these freedoms. We have all this. But you know what? You're not going to make a difference if you put out shitty product. And you're like, well, you know what? Your name your name is on your product, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're, what we, 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 had, we had a debate about this the other day. Was it James Robinson's series, uh, Flyboy or Flyman or what the fuck was it called? Yeah, Airboy. Uh, Air and we had the cartoonist whose name I can't remember. Greg something, maybe. I'm not sure. But... We were like, oh, this is the first thing that puts him on the map. And we're wondering, well, is this really what the first thing you want on the map is? And, you know, so it, it really, it's it's 101 and 50 of another. So we'll have to see. I mean, uh, you and I will definitely be proponents of the type of attitude Brandon Graham places in comics. Now, whether an execution that lives up to the hype, we'll see anyway. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway, I got a real treat yesterday. Let me tell you. I'm not an Archie fan, but the first issue of Jughead was so witty and so sharp and so fun. I enjoyed reading it. Um, it's drawn by um, Erica Henderson, who's doing the uh, Squirrel Girl comic over at uh, Marvel. She's got like an Adventure Time type style, but she's disciplined enough to do Archie. And believe it or not, Chip Zdarsky does the script on Jughead, and he nails it. It's 20 pages of fun, momentum. There's a portion in the middle where Jughead goes unconscious and he dreams all his friends are living on the Game of Thrones set and they continue the plot while he's unconscious and then he comes conscious again. I mean, it really, it's really fun. And I said, you know what? Mark Wade has got to be spooning his juices right now because he wrote the Archie. And while the Archie is good, it's nowhere near level on Jughead. So... Next time you're in a comic store, you really got to pick up Jughead. It's it's a really nice comic. If you think that you have any pompacity towards that type of stuff, man, go for it. It's good. It's funny. Funny shit, man. But I want to hear about Copperhead. What's going on with Copperhead? Copperhead just uh, came back, I guess, after two months off? I It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, And it wraps up sort of the second story arc or the first story arc, however you want to look at it. It's going to take a three- or four-month break and then be back. It winds up good. Once again, uh, Jay Faber, is a, he's found something here. Now, the last time we saw him, they were all, like, all heading for the desert, like, uh, towards this one uh, bad uh, town. Yeah, so it, it, it's the most like a Western, I guess I'd say. Yeah, this, really like this a Western. issue, yeah. And so it's mostly an action issue. There's some setup for the next... Uh, 
the next arc, some ominous things, and uh, yeah, I mean it. It it was good. Um, we, we you and I commented about like the protagonist is a sheriff on this like mining planet that's pretty desolate, and uh, how bad of a mom she was. Yeah. <laughs> That's her most like endearing conceit. She's she's kind of a badass compared. I mean, about as big a badass as like a hundred and forty pound woman could be, or whatever. Right. But, uh, her her relationship with her son is so odd. Yeah, she's just she's <laughs> just yeah. It's you exist, son. Go off your own way. And yeah, jump out go enjoy you. yourself. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's it's a cool uh, it's a cool book, and it, it continues to. I mean, it, it works out. Um, gotcha. So next up, we're going to talk about some trade paperbacks. And since Vernon's the one who read all of them, except for one, um, I'm going to start talking about... This isn't out yet, is it? No, it's out next week. We got an advanced... Next copy. week, our advanced reader's copy of The Fall of the House of West, The Second Battling Boy... And, or, I'm sorry, the second Aurora West uh, Battling Boys spinoff. And this is, this is Paul Pope's uh, sort of attempt at... Mainstream comics. Mainstream comics, but for your Courtney Crumren crowd. Older, older, all ages. Yes. And female. It's like Princess Ugg. I liked it. Well, we like Princess Og too, Vernon. I love Princess It's because Ogg. it's a really good comic. No shit. Yeah, so... The artist is a Paul Pope imitator named David Rubin, who was not as imitatey of Paul Pope on, um... The Fiction, which we talked about earlier, as he is on this book. So he clearly... Clearly turns on the Paul Pope when he's doing this book. That is very interesting. David Rubin is so talented it makes you sick. <clears throat> he's a true commercial comic book artist. He can he can uh, go from one gear to another, as Andrew has explained here from the fiction, which is a color book, which he does very well with. Um, the Battling Boy Aurora West volumes are all black and white. So he really has uh, to come up with the goods in order to look good in black and white, and I think he surpasses them. They're just... Oh, he does. He does. It's gorgeous stuff. Yeah. This is probably the most textured black and white comic art you'll see in this generation. So next up, Vernon's going to talk for quite a while. Hey, wait, wait a minute. We didn't get to recommend the fall of the House of West. Oh, well, yes. Everybody, well, I just read the first volume when this one uh, yeah, came I my it. way. <laughs> but did, what, did you enjoy them? Oh, yes. I, I'm looking forward to the return of uh, whatever they do next. I'm just hoping that it's doing well enough that there will be something next. You know, that's true. There is such a plethora of uh, junior-aged comic book graphic novels on the market right now. It's easy to find things get lost. And it would be a shame if Battling Boy got lost because there's like three volumes when you count the original Battling Boy and then the two Aurora West volumes. They are just simply gorgeous. I don't know. They are so far ahead of their brethren in terms of storytelling ability and just sheer talent levels that you don't want to put them on the same level 
as the other graphic novels for all ages viewing because there is so much work here to these books, it makes you sick. Uh, Aurora West, a character that comes out of Battling Boy but is the star of the second two volumes, develops as a character, and her story and her family story are introduced on like a multitude of levels. It's almost like Paul Pope is juggling balls, right? And then he just decides which ones are going to juggle in order and everything for the story because he really leads you in this latest volume on a grand ride and then pulls the rug out from you at the very last minute and establishes itself as like pure comics, great storytelling. So I don't know. Who gives a fuck about comics if you don't read a real world? <laughs> telling you. Well, what, do you feel like better as a person for reading Aurora West? I do. I just enjoy the shit <laughs> out of that book. Fucking shit. Oh, well. Anyway, so I got the more. Yeah, it was. It was so good. I, I just wanted to, like, pour my heart out in the book. I'm sorry. Let me just put my pants back on. Uh, anyway, we're going to burn through some TPs real quick. Um, Empowered, Volume 9. Oh, my God. Adam Warian's series from Dark Horse is probably the best superhero book published in this generation, bar none. This guy takes all of the superhero tropes that you and I are familiar with, multiplies them by 10 in the intensity level, and pulls it off magnificently about this superheroine with seriously high self-esteem issues. Um, Started out as a semi-erotic strip empowered has grown by the leaps and bounds to a level of sophistication and payoff that few comic books don't even get close to uh volume nine of empowered just makes you love it all the more and if you ask me if you could get me to grow my emotion for a book over nine volumes the way i've done with empowered i'd say there's very few of them that could do that <laughs> and I still haven't read this book. Oh God! Get off your keister, my man. Now Andrew right. has a huge backlog. It's not fair to him. Anyway, let's burn through the next one. Lady Killer. Okay, that's the Dark Horse reprinting of the miniseries by Joel Jones and Jamie Rich. Doesn't take any brains to read this stuff. It's fun, visceral stuff. Five issues and done. The woman is a killer. You know who your audience is. Anyway. Okay, now we get to some other stuff. Um, Victor Gishler's Hellbound. Um, oh my god, I missed a Gishler? I told you. You told me, but I don't pay enough attention to you, Vernon. Well, now you know. Oh! What? <laughs> anyway, no. anyway, well, you know, it's, I tell you what, Gishler, Gishler is a great commercial writer, and there's, this succeeds, Hellbound succeeds. It takes all the typical story yeah. and just throws them in a fucking, uh, uh, what would you call this? I would call this like a uh, Evil Dead. Who's the director of Evil Dead? Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi could do Hellbound in his sleep. Okay, let's put it this way. This, this is Sam Raimi on pills. And Victor Gishler does the American translation slash story because this is a concept for a European thing. Even on the back here, it says Dark Horse, Italian job. Comics, so it's an imprint in Dark Horse where they do the European stuff. So Victor's working for the foreign companies too. Um, Hellbound's fun. It's like um, what's so an order of the forge, totally well crafted, mindless shit. Okay, enjoy. Um, however, his Conan Red Sonia series so far has left me absolutely cold. So that's what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah by the numbers, boring shit. 
So anyway, Hellbound is what you want. All right, next, the New Deal. Jonathan Case. You know, back when DC was DC, they used to employ guys like Jonathan Case to do Vertigo series or, or, or median work because of their styles. He has a very traditional, classical comic strip feel to his work. And this story about two hotel employees working, oh, I'm going to say after the Great Depression, uh, and some monkey business and thievery that occurs at the hotel they work at with all the cast of characters is a really well-balanced, perfectly nuanced plot that is is accented by Jonathan Case's artwork, which just captures the pair, the movement, the the storytelling. It's just all right on the right thing. So I highly, highly recommend that one. Uh, the New Deal. I don't think enough people are going to read this. It's one of those dark horse uh, graphic novels, much in the same way as Hellbomb, believe it or not. I mean, you, you look at two contrasting graphic novels. Those are two, but they should be read. And believe it or not, they're both like dark horse. So read them, please. Oh, God. All right, one more breath. Here we go. The one TP I'm going to mention, I didn't read the comic story of beer. I've been too busy. I want to tackle it. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a really good graphic uh, interpretation of the story of beer from its origins. I guess beer predates baked bread. Did you know that, motherfucker? I guess before they threw a, threw a fire to bread, they made beer, fermented, whatever the fuck, and probably cow hides. And uh, this goes to today from seven seven thousand BC to today's craft brewing revolution. You know what? They got me. I'm sorry. I'm on board. <laughs> anyway, those are the TPs for the week. Forgive my headache, kids. Ugh. Anyway, epic editorial fail. What's that? Tell me what epic editorial fail is. Give us give our readers a definition of what you and I are talking about. What are we talking about? I saw it on here and I was like. We talked about this in some email. What was it? Well, it's where where a comic is introduced and printed and distributed, and it is an epic editorial fail to the point where it does a 180-degree turn and actually makes things worse rather than better, I think. Uh, I had one this week to nominate the Luther Strode series. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it has no – okay, let's go let's, – let's be honest – I don't, I don't read Luther Strode because it needs to be read. Okay, Justin Jordan, <laughs> Justin Jordan is the type of writer that has not really impressed me at all, and I will never probably read another comic again other than Luther Strode with his name on it. I'm there for, what is the name of this son of a bitch? Where's the Luther Strode? Kind of find it, laddie. Help me out, computer man. Ah, uh, Luther Strode. Trad Moore. Trad no. Moore. Good. I can still beat Steve Jobs. I'm happy. Anyway, Trad Moore. Trad Moore's artwork is a ballerina of violence. If you could call, if you could give Tarantino talent as a filmmaker, it would be Trad Moore as a depictor of violence in comic books. And Luther Strode is pretty much that. And the reason I gave it the epic fail is because they made us wait around and wait around. I think you were leaving for Denver when they started the first fucking Luther yeah. book. And here, what year was that? Do you remember that? I'm sorry. 2007, I believe. All right. So we're looking like, what? Oh, God, eight years later. And they still haven't finished this trilogy. And you know what? On the latest issue, which was four months between the shoes, they have the audacity. To say, we're taking a break until the beginning of next year. 
<laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm done. I love you guys. But you know what? You're done to my store. I reduced their back issues to 50 cents. And hopefully I can sell the trades. But I said, that's it. I, I, I really tried to you assholes. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is my epic fail for the week. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, anyway, we're gonna try to find some successes. So lately, Andrew and I were talking uh, about oldies but goodies or something. Did you ever come up with the right phrase for that? We were dicking around on emails. Did we ever come up with anything? Anyway, one of Andrew's jobs on his blog is to find some nice classics and review them issue by issue. So I'll let him take over from now on after I get the crying towel out after Luther Strode. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been. This came up. Oh, it's probably come up every time we <laughs> talk about Brubaker at length. Is his Catwoman series, which uh, came out from 2002 to about 2005. It was 34 or 36 issues. And at the time. We loved it, right? It was at the time of Alias before that disappeared. I mean, it was a it was a good time for comics, right? He had Darwin Cook on the art. He had Darwin Cook on the art, but this was the same time as uh, Gotham Central DC. This was pre Dan Didio DC. Oh, you could not imagine the comics DC and Marvel put out then nowadays. Oh, it just no, no yeah, way. Catwoman and Alias were not coming out of DC and Marvel in those days. Oh my god, yeah, or these days. But anyway, so I hadn't read Catwoman since I caught up on the series when I started shopping at Burns Shop. I got like the first two trades, and then I think I got the floppies. So it's been forever since I've read this book, and I mean. Catwoman was one of those, it was a water cooler book. It was. Her romance with Slam. I mean, it was a water cooler. Even and that then, was... Even then, Brew Baker could write about characters. And so I started rereading it, and it, it blew me away. It's... Because I did go back and reread Dead Enders, which was Brew Baker's first... Uh, Vertigo Ongoing, and I reread Dead Boy Detectives, and I've read The Fall again. I've read I've read stuff in between, but I haven't gone back to the the, the not the Batman's. I've never read Brubaker's Detective Comics when he and Greg Rucka would alternate. But I never. And then he did Catwoman and Gotham Central, and I'd never gone back and reread those. And I think I've been meaning to forever. So. Figured no time like the present. Some great Darwin Cook, and it's just it's a great book. And uh it's completely forgotten, but at the time it did have its ardent fans. I remember people just being livid over the movie adaptation amidst this wonderful uh new approach to Catwoman that they were doing. I love that book. That was a great book. Great book. Yeah. Darwin Cook always challenging you visually with storytelling and Ed Brubaker going right along with his noirish type 
stories of Catwoman and the denizens and uh, what was it? What was it? You know, one thing that it always gets lost in that series that I, I was reminded of is that, that Selena had a child and I remember uh, one particular issue where Batman spent the night, you know, and the next morning she woke up with this envelope and it said, you know, make sure the, the girl is well taken care of, send her to wherever you think she should go to school. And that was that. And he had like a, I don't know, was it, did he sign it the bat? I doubt he signed it anything because Batman wouldn't sign shit. But I said, right. there ain't too many writers that would try something like this. You know, I, I don't ever remember, like, it was always, it was always implied that, that Bruce was a horn dog, but it was never yeah. really showed. You never saw his relationship with any of the women he had other than like Selena here and, and Catwoman. Such good stuff. Well, you've, you've, let's see, you, you got a couple of the issues up on your blog right now. That you, yeah, I've only read a couple. Oh, just, just great stuff. It's a pleasure to read those. And I'm glad that you're reminding us of them because I think that's, a, that's a good thing we should talk about is books that get lost, uh, in the shuffle that really should be read. I mean, DC, to its credit, occasionally reprints them. I mean, I think, but the thing is, the editions get bigger and bigger. Okay. Because it's cheaper for them to reproduce things in a bigger format. So you get these huge fucking tombs that weigh 18 pounds that you can't bring to the bathroom with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you, you like you have to have a table to read the fucking thing. So you're not likely to check out this 20-pound book. But Catwoman, I don't know. I, was, yeah, I remember the days. That, that, Catwoman sold almost as good as Batman in those days. I remember that. Well, yeah, it was coming off Jim Ballon. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. And Jim Ballon went crazy. They relaunched it from Jim Ballon and, uh, and Chuck Dixon with two very different people. Oh, um, Yeah. I think there's some things about when they talked about the design of – Darwood Cook talked about the design of her costume for the rebooted Catwoman. He mentioned some things, and I think, wow – they just sit and thought about all the little details about what they were presenting. You know, they said, you know what, we're not just going to do Catwoman. We're going to change the way she fundamentally looks. And uh, she did look fundamentally different on this yep. than she did previously. It wasn't, and it wasn't, it was, it was cute, but I wouldn't say it was overtly sexy, you know. Right. So, yeah, the, the Brubaker, Darwin, Cook issues of Catwoman, oh, great comics, man. Uh, all right. Should we mention some medias real quick before we hit the road? Yes, let's do that. Um, how about those creepy alias trailers? Have you seen those fucking things yet? No, I tried watching one of them, but it didn't have the sound on. I just was like, eh. Well, you read the uh, Bendis alias, correct? Yeah. You know what? The third one. Look for the third one, the trailer, as they bring in uh, Kill Raven, the Purple Man. And they bring that whole situation into her life in that commercial. And I know what that means, and you know what that means. And when you watch that commercial, it is creepy as shit. I kid you not. I have some hopes for this series. I do, too. I just feel like they're advertising it wrong. Yes, I do, too. Right. I mean, she's like a flawed character, and they're kind of doing it, but they're making her like this edgy bitch, you know? And I'm like, no, she wasn't like that. She didn't get in your face. Yeah, and the other thing is the um, they're doing these promo posters, um, and they're they're doing photo pro not photo they're doing like Joe Casada art. 
And I'm just like, dude, who cares? Like, right, right, right. It's so past. You're that. not, yeah. We're your TV shows now. Act like a TV show. Like, just put some like, confidence. Like, right. if you're gonna use comic book artists, use Alex Maleev. Or what's the <laughs> there's that too. Yeah. Right. Or who who's the series artist? Was it was it Richard Gatos? I think it was that did Alien. Yeah. Be a good choice. Don't use Joe Casada because he's too weird. Yes, I'm serious. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm looking forward to the series. Yeah. You know, you know, my customers have all reported that the Flash uh, season premiere was pretty good. And it was. It, you haven't watched it yet? No, I've been too busy. Maybe tonight. I'll put it on my tablet and watch it. We'll see. I, I'd like to. So, you, did you uh, see it already? I did see it already. Yes. Okay. So, what was your what was your what was your lukewarm, cold, shitty what? <sighs> no, no, I'm pretty warm to it. I didn't like the the way they handled the cliffhangers on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was one person said, "Oh, I'm looking forward to two. and I'm like, "Oh, what does that mean?" You know, like so one wasn't good enough that you're looking forward to two. Okay, so I have to see for myself. There's a uh, lot of good stuff in it, though. It it hits a lot of high notes before it it goes excellent. Before it has any problems. Uh, good. I'm looking forward to Supergirl. We'll see what happens yep. there. And uh, so you're right. TV has taken over completely from movies. I don't think we're talking about movies at all anymore. <laughs> good, good for us. All right. Well, anyway, we're giving it to him or what? Give him one. Well, yeah, not giving it. I mean, we're saying, yeah, hey, have we covered our topics? Is there something you want to cover? Is there movies? Anything? No, I don't think so. Is there anything? I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you, the, the the Marvel Studios, other than the uh, internal mechanizations and uh, DC. You know, strangely enough, for a, for a company, Warner Brothers, it's supposed to put out like what? A dozen fucking films. They're strangely silent. I mean, other than Batman, I tell you, oh, let's let's end this on a rant, okay? Can we? May I? I'm sorry. I don't. No, I do want to talk. Just bitch, because I no. Go, Vernon. Anyway, Batman, Dark Miller. Have you seen? You put the promo art on the fucking. Page. I did put the promo art. Oh on my page. god! It's, it's, help me out. Help me out. You're my information man. Is Frank Miller dying, or is he really sick? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm asking because I don't want to make fun of his artwork. And to, I mean, the man's dying of cancer. And he doesn't have control of his facilities. I can understand. He showed up at the New York Comic Con and did a panel with Dan Didio. Okay, so he's okay then. Well, okay, so he gets. <laughs> yeah, but let me tell you, who was it? I think did you link? I forget. I, I followed the Facebook page to a link where somebody said how bad the Superman artwork is like. And they use the word like his dick or whatever. I'm like, oh my god, you know, like it's really bad. It's just really, I'm like, I just, I just don't understand it. Like, remember, I was making fun of you. I, I was making fun, telling you a week ago that when the New York Con was coming, and all fucking DC had was that three volume set slipcase false thing because it, it wasn't even published in their. I go, is that all you got for New York Con? This is a convention, right? It's growing and maybe bigger than San Diego this year, right? I mean, that's what I'm gathering. So this is all you fucking got. And now we get to the convention and they're talking about, oh, look at this. Oh, it's like the worst fucking professional artwork I've ever seen in my life. And it is an embarrassment to DC to put this out there unless, like, you'd have to terminate it. Like, this is what it takes to get Frank Miller on board. Seriously. You saw that artwork. What, what did you think? You're not an art guy. What do you encourage to read this book and saw that art? I'm just God, kidding. no. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, 
it looks like he was done it like in sleep or something. I, I don't get it. You know, I mean, is Frank, I, I worry about Frank. Okay. I mean, any individual who put out artwork like that would know that a rational, rational, non-sick person would know that that's not good artwork. He doesn't look very good, but to be fair, if that's Dan Didio, neither does Dan Didio. Maybe it's somebody else. But, no, Frank does not look very good. <laughs> Frank hasn't looked very good for years. So no, he really like, hasn't. I think the best picture he ever took was on the back of the Dark Knight trade in the 80s. That was it, right? After that. Then it went all downhill from there. Yeah, he always looked like a drug addict or uh, alcoholic with a little haircut and, like, damn, this guy's a millionaire and he looks like shit, man. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, God, get a haircut and take a bath for Christ's sakes. Uh, hope we don't get sued for that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, we had to leave on a high note, kids. What can I tell you? <laughs> yep. All right. So, that's about it, right? Man, we covered it all, baby. Uh, yeah, again, we, we should mention... What is it? We got to mention the uh, Facebook page. You can contact us the Facebook at Comics Gallery. That's Comics with an the X. The Comics Gallery. Facebook.com backslash The Comics Gallery. Comics with an X. Thank you. And uh, you send us any kind of information you want, bitches, complaints. Uh, we do love uh, platitudes of enjoyment also. So what can I tell you? <laughs> Good night, kids. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. 